Hello and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl, And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, here we are. A lot of news. The president has been has been doing a lot of talking over the last 24 hours, and we're going to kind of go through, I think, even by this president's standards, some rather, shall we say, unusual. Uh, but first of all, can we pick it up where we left off the last Powerhouse Politics? We Please. were talking about Joe Biden. Yeah. And I think I was telling you that I thought there was a real chance he might not actually run. You were insisting, no, he's going to win. He's going to all this stuff. So um, since then, we've had a whole series of allegations come out about uh, about Joe Biden, beginning with Lucy Flores uh, telling the story of when she, you know, uh, she had Biden out to campaign for her in Nevada. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the kind of creepy smelling of the hair, kissing her on the back of the head, all that kind of stuff. Um, now, uh, there's quite a bit out there right now. Is, is this What's this going to do to Biden? There is nothing that has come out that shouldn't have been entirely anticipated by Joe Biden's team. And the fact that it wasn't suggests that he doesn't actually have much of a campaign team in the first place. I think that's item one takeaway. How about the, the rapid response, though? It has not been rapid and it has not been responsive. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is another tell about not having a, a fully formed team ready to go. And Biden has done this before. He's put together kind of a ragtag group of advisors, but they should have been prepared for this. And they need to be prepared for how different this era is and how 45 years worth of interactions with Joe Biden, who is a hands-on politician. He calls himself a tactile politician. Those interactions look different in the light of 2019. And he is coming into uh, very much a real of that, and he has been relatively silent this week, except for relatively. a couple of statements. Yeah, I mean, puts I mean, out some he, statements. He hasn't said anything on camera. I mean, he, he put out written statements right. in response to the Lucy Flores allegations Friday over the weekend. I think were the two, right? Am I correct about that's this? right? Yeah, uh, we've heard some from some Biden spokesperson, but but from Biden himself, and we haven't actually seen him in public right. uh, talk about this. This what day is it? Today is today is Wednesday, April third. Okay, so. This is this is an eternity story, in, yeah. uh, in 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 political time. That's right. And we have not heard from Biden directly. Nancy Pelosi, we've heard from Nancy Pelosi, uh, has come out to say she doesn't think this is disqualifying, but that Biden's answers on this are not ex- are not enough, and right. still nothing. That's still, still nothing. Nothing. And, and in people I've talked to in, in other campaigns have said this just is an example of a guy that is not running a campaign for 2019. The fundraising numbers that have come out this this week are another another reason that he may be delaying his announcement for a couple of weeks. But they have to get in front of this if he is going to run for president. And I still think he is much more likely than not to announce his candidacy. There it is on the record, John, for okay. future Thank trash you. talking All purposes. Right. Yes. He's got. This is going to be a big part of the initial launch of the coverage unless or until they get out and front and start answering questions about it because we're only seeing more people come forward. And we should make a a stark line between this and the Me Too allegations that have felled other politicians or, in the case of Donald Trump, have not felled. Well, this is a perfect issue for Donald Trump to take advantage of, right, given his background. (laughs) So clean clean as a whistle on on anything anything like this. So so let's talk about that because I I would have thought that if there was a little self-awareness, you know, this might be the kind of thing that Trump might not want to – well, I mean, what do you do for ABC News again? <laughs> You're the White House White House correspondent. So okay. yeah, because I don't know if you remember this, but there were a whole series of allegations against uh, against Donald Trump during the campaign, and and uh, uh, you know some some quite serious, uh, all of them quite serious, but some of them um, you know uh, could could venture into criminal behavior. Yeah. Um, 
And uh, the, the, the president, of course, denied those allegations. But, uh, but, but there were a lot of very serious allegations against, uh, against Donald Trump. And, of course, there were his own words on tape and the mm-hmm. Access Hollywood. So anyway, he actually directly addressed this at a fundraiser last night for House Republicans. And he, uh, he, he basically made a joke, welcome, you know, how do you like the world, Joe Biden? And then he told this little story about meeting a general named General Kane. Listen to this. I said, what's your name, Raisin? What's your last name? Kane. I said, you mean your name's Raisin Kane? Yes, sir. That's the guy that told me. I said, so? My people tell me two years. What do you think? One week, sir. I said, General, come here, give me a kiss. <laughs> I felt like Joe Biden. Well, I don't know. Rimshot. I mean, it's, it's this late night comic uh, pre- president. Uh, I'm just uh, not sure. Again. I'm not sure this is the issue that. Uh, anyway, um, but but let, let's let's pivot to the president because as I mentioned at the top, to be very serious, he said he's been saying some, and you know he always kind of surprises us, yeah. right? Um, but um, you know he was talking about the Mueller report. Did you did you did you hear about this? And uh, this was in the Oval Office on on Tuesday. And I don't know. I'm just going to play what he said. There was no collusion. There was no obstruction. Uh, They were very disappointed. I don't know what they were thinking because they all know. I guarantee you they go into a room between Nadler, Schiff and the group and they laugh like hell at how they've kept this thing going for two years. They laugh like hell. And I hope that this investigation now, which is finished, it's totally finished. No collusion, no obstruction. I hope they now go and take a look at the oranges, the oranges of the uh, uh, investigation, the beginnings of that investigation. Okay, so the oranges. I, I mean, he meant to say origins, but but he, but he said it a couple more times, and then he repeated himself like three times about these oranges of the investigation. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean... You, How Florida of him, Okay, yes. whatever. It's, it's fine. Um... But then there was this kind of odd statement about his father, Fred Trump. I always talk about Germany. I mean, Germany, honestly, is not paying their fair share. I have great respect for Angela, and I have great respect for the country. My father is German, right? Was German. And uh, born in a, a very wonderful place in Germany. And so I have a great feeling for Germany. A very wonderful place in Germany. Germany that's called the Bronx. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I think that's that's about right. This is a strange. He has said it before, and yeah. no one can figure out why he I mean, said it ever. He had a grand grandfather was is he born is, in Germany. is he trying to birth her himself? Is that possible? I don't I don't know I don't know. But I, I just want to keep keep along this line. Um, he gave this speech uh, last night, as as I mentioned. Um, uh, for the House Republicans fundraiser, uh, big big event. And, well, he, he seemed to be worried that the speech might leak. Uh, I don't want to use names because I'll get in trouble because it's always somebody's going to leak this whole damn speech to the media, to the fake news. You know, and somebody did leak the speech. You know why? Why? Because C-SPAN was broadcasting it live oh because uh, there was a White House pool camera there, NBC News, because the, the, the place was filled with reporters. That's why it leaked. Because it was an open Because press it was event. on the record. Because it was mm-hmm. an open thing and there were lights all over. Anyway, that was a little strange. But but can I, can I do, you don't mind please, right. Oh, no, please. March okay. along. Uh, so um, 
then he um, he got in this. You know, he's not a. He likes coal. We know that he likes coal. He's not a big alternate energy kind of guy, and he doesn't seem to like wind very much. Uh, wind power. Um, but anyway, play it. If you if you have a windmill anywhere near your house, congratulations. Your house just went down seventy five percent in value. And they say the noise causes cancer. You tell me that one, okay? You know, the thing makes it so... And of course, it's like a graveyard for birds. If you love birds, you'd never want to walk under a windmill because it's a very sad, sad sight. It's like a cemetery. We put a little... We put a little statue for the poor birds. Yeah, so uh, anyway, I mean, windmills do kill a lot of birds, but um, I'd never heard the noise causing cancer stuff. Anyway... It just, it just. These are maybe trivial things, and this is Trump being Trump. Um, but there are some more substantive things that have been rather strange over the last few days. Um, I don't know. You know, I mean, he, he said he was going to close the. Remember, he said he was going to close the Mexican border. Yeah, he was definitely going to do it, right? And, and Mick Mulvaney told you over the weekend yeah, that unless something incredibly dramatic happens, it's happening this week. Happening this week. And and last night he um, he was speaking about. How he's speaking about it in the past tense about how he wanted to close the border, but now Mexico, they're did you see they just detained a thousand people at the border yesterday? And he he makes it sound uh, like because he made this threat, Mexico has entirely changed their position um, and and is now suddenly stopping the migrants on the Mexican side of the border. ABC News, we've gone, we've we've contacted Department of Homeland Security, we've got our man Matt Gutman on on the border. We've been looking for evidence of any change in the posture of the Mexicans, who, of course, had pr- long ago promised that they would cooperate right. on this and process asylum cases, allow them to be proce- processed on, on, on their side of the border. Um, but we can find no evidence of any change whatsoever in what the Mexicans are doing. But now the president, at least, at least last night, and maybe he'll change again today. I don't know. And, and, and what about health care, John? Health- what about health care? Let's let, so the, so the president's reverse course on this policy position, and he's he's created chaos throughout his his entire administration. We remember just a week ago he announced his administration announced that they were joining the Obamacare lawsuit, uh, and that uh, he, they they were they were they wanted it all to be tossed out, and of course and completely terminated, com- completely terminated, which was, and of course, which was a change in the policy. Yes. And that means there were, the Republicans would have a plan. They would have a plan. And well, they would he have said to they were going to be the party of healthcare. of healthcare. You yeah. watch, you watch. And he sent uh, the uh, our friend Mark Short, friend of the podcast, uh, uh, chief of staff for the vice president now, uh, went on television and said that they would be introducing their uh, Republican health care plan. It would be forthright. And then he reversed again. He seemed to say – well, he did say uh, in a tweet and then reiterated it in the same Oval Office event uh, that the health care – the Republican health care plan would wait until after the election, after he wins re-election – after the Senate remains in Republican hands and after Republicans win back the House, so they would do it after the election. Um, you know, I don't know, but last night he was back talking about health care again, and here's what he had to say. If we stay away from that subject, we're going to lose. We're going to lose. We can't stay away. It's too important. It's too important because the Democrats, you know what? We have the border. We have, if you look at it, we have the immigration, but we have a lot. Of, we have the crime. We have the police. We have the military. We have so much. They have health care right now. We have to take that away from it. We take that away. 
We take that away. We will not even come close. I mean, it's I don't know. Diagram that those sentences. Uh, <laughs> but but apparently he wants to take health care away from the Democrats. No. Yeah, and, and the way you do that is waiting 20 months to vote on a proposal until after the election. You know, we we use a we use a, a a phrase all the time, a football metaphor about punting on issues all the time. This is punting on first down. We're 20 months away from the election to say that you're not even going to try to introduce a plan. And it's a secret plan that no one is going to know about until after the election if the Republicans win. If he wins, by the way, it's all predicated on him winning another term, first and foremost. So he's going to run for reelection on a secret health care plan. How do you think Mitch McConnell and his the Senate Republican colleagues feel about that one, John? I don't know. You know, McConnell, I thought this was an extraordinary moment of, of, of defiance of a president of your own party. When the president did his riff, and he did it right walking into a meeting with Senate Republicans, elaborated further that this was they were going to be the party of health care, that they were going to introduce their own alternative, the Republican alternative would be much better than Obamacare. And then Mitch McConnell came out to the cameras, and he said, he said, we're not doing it. Yeah. He originally said, I look forward to what Speaker Pelosi and the president come up with on this, which is a classic Mitch McConnell passive aggressive right. move. He, like, it ain't mine. And then he said, it's not going to be us. It's we're not going to be, we're, we're be And then the president suddenly did his about face and said, we'll wait until after the election right. uh, to vote on this. Maybe he's thinking after Mitch McConnell's. I, I don't know. Whether, but, whether, uh, he's, whether he's in office or not. Um, but, uh, you know, th- these are these are serious issues uh the 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 threat on the border caused you know the you know i mean there were discussions but political there there's a political dynamic there's a diplomatic dynamic and then he seems to take it back and then the, i don't know i mean he seems to be no. uh, a little is it listless uh, since since the uh, the bar summary of the Mueller report is there any relation well, i don't know exactly what's going on i feel like there's a couple levels to this one is you know the, the the borscht belt presidency that you see on display when he goes out there in front of cameras and is just riffing and maybe yep. he thought this was there weren't cameras there maybe he didn't uh, but it's not just that I and mean, we're used to the the president just saying stuff without any strategy behind it that's part of what president trump is the other thing that i think is more serious for republicans is as they start to gear up for 2020 knowing that the president's at the top of the ticket knowing that they've pledged loyalty to him, to have these incredible contortions on policy positions that they're forced into. The, 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 what it means for the entire federal government and the Congress to, to be told that the president is about to shut down the border. You don't just say that. You don't just do that. There's actual economic implications. There's national security implications to all that. And then on issues like health care, where Republicans just don't want to be there, to be led all over the place on this, the president stepping all over his messaging and coming out and declaring that his party is going to have something that, of course, it's not going to have. This is the downside of Donald Trump. And that's what Republicans are finding out now and going to find out over these next these next months unless or until there's some discipline imposed on this this is all over the place well i wouldn't look for i wouldn't predict discipline but but i i, I also this is coming after Barr has announced principal findings the most important principal fi- finding arguably is that uh after 22 months Mueller finds no collusion between the trump campaign or the president and uh and the russians i still have a lot of questions about other aspects of the end it, of, of the end of Mueller. Of, of what's going to happen now as we await the release of the report and what the heck is going on with the other investigations, perhaps most importantly, the investigation done out of the uh, U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York. And I think I have found the perfect guy to help us understand these issues, somebody who actually was the U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, a uh, very uh, uh, you know, prominent former prosecutor, out with a new book. I think we got to talk to him. 
Let's do it. Let's go to a break and, uh, and bring him in. What do you and think? And when we come back, Preet Bharara. All right. And joining us now is the former U.S. Attorney for the Southern District of New York, Mr. Preet Bharara. Thank you for joining us, Preet. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So uh, you're out with a new book, Doing Justice, A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime, Punishment, and the Rule of Law. And, you know, this may not surprise you, but I want to get some of your thoughts about um, the current state of some, uh, some, some of those issues regarding the President of the United States. Can no, you, you do? Yes. And, and, Nobody and, ever asks about that. Can, can we remind everybody that you actually, <laughs> you, you, you kind of worked under uh, President Trump for a glorious how many days? It was like seven weeks. Seven weeks? Trump administration veteran. Trump administration Trump. veteran. <laughs> How many? Um, that's like six Scaramucci's. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that's incredible. So, so we've um, been, been trying to, uh, to, to, to figure out what to expect now, along with everybody else. Uh, Barr has given us his principal findings uh, from, from the Mueller report. I, I saw you, unlike others who seemed to have a hard time uh, accepting much of what of what Barr said, you you've, you know, there, there's the stark conclusion, maybe the central conclusion: no collusion between, no conspiracy between uh, the Trump campaign and the Russians. But obviously, that, the, that's an important distinction. Obviously, right? That, and people keep getting upset about it, and in some cases, rightly so. The president keeps talking about collusion. His supporters keep talking about collusion. Collusion is a lay term that doesn't mean anything legally, and. The special counsel didn't make any finding about what, you know, evidence there was of collusion or not, the sort of generic term that means was there, you know, some, um, uh, you know, relationship with or uh, acceptance of benefits from the Russians in connection with the campaign, and they only focused on conspiracy, and that's why, and the reason that's important is that Adam Schiff, the chief, uh, the chairman of the Intel Committee in the House, is getting a lot of grief from the minority members, I think unfairly, because Adam Schiff has talked about collusion as well, this generic term, for which there is plenty of evidence. Uh, Bob Mueller only made a decision about whether or not there was enough evidence to make a criminal case of conspiracy. So I just want to point that out. But but when Adam Schiff is talking about collusion, I mean, what, what he is talking about when he is understood to be talking about is the idea that somehow the, 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 the Trump campaign was involved in the Russian efforts to interfere with the election, specifically uh, the hack of the DNC emails and the Podesta emails and uh, the, the, the fake news uh, social media campaign. And we've seen no evidence and there's no suggestion that, that Mueller has any evidence that there was any involvement on the part of the, the, the Trump campaign in that effort. Well, again, involve, <clears throat> involvement is an odd word, too. Um, whether there was an agreement or a meeting of the minds in real time on an ongoing basis to do those things, he has said there's not enough evidence to state a crime, which is, I think, was, I think a little different. But be that as it may, well, I think all of us can, can understand a little bit better what Mueller and his team found and concluded and what they didn't find and conclude when we finally see the report. And I, I want to ask you about a, a, a specific st- uh, statement from Bar when he talks about this process of getting the Mueller report ready uh, to, to send to Congress and to release publicly. Um, he's going to take out classified information. He's going to take out grand jury information. Uh, but then he mentions uh, information uh, uh, that would uh, disparage third parties. Um, peripheral. Peripheral, peripheral third parties. Third parties. <laughs> Which so is another – there's a lot of definitional problems in all of the discussions about the Mueller investigation, collusion, involvement – Conspiracy, and now we have peripheral. So, is 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 per- peripheral would mean 
would that mean those who have not been charged? So is the president peripheral? Well, I, I assume you know no, no one's been charged, and the people who've been charged, we all know about it. So my and I think disparaging information about people who have been charged is already available. Right. And I don't expect I don't expect the Mueller report to say a lot more than what is already publicly known about, for example, people like Paul Manafort and Roger Stone. Remember, the report is supposed to outline decisions to prosecute and decisions not to prosecute. And the decisions to prosecute, it seems to me, the documents that have been made public in the trial that happened with respect to Manafort, that all speaks for itself. Now, with the remaining universe of humans, uh, I guess there are peripheral and non-peripheral. <laughs> and Bill Barr is making a distinction. And, and, and by the way, I think that's not necessarily terrible news from the perspective of people who want disclosure. I, again, the proof is in the pudding, and a lot of promises have been made by a lot of people over time about transparency, uh, and it doesn't happen. But it, you know, it doesn't sound like Barr is saying, well, anyone who wasn't charged, uh, even if they were sort of central to the investigation, should have their information redacted. He, he doesn't seem to be saying that. So that, in other words, if there was an investigation relating to uh, you know, a, someone close to the president... And it was a significant part of the investigation, and people have known it was part of the investigation. For example, Donald Jr. or Jared Kushner or some other folks. The implication of his, of his last letter seems to be that some of that information will be revealed. And, you know, to the extent there are other, you know, random people, I don't know if that would include folks like the secretary to the, to the president or other folks. I don't know, again, he doesn't define peripheral, but people who really had no role in anything and sort of... Um, you know, f- fell into the uh, into the orbit of Donald Trump and, and in the ambit of the investigation. And some, you know, things were found out about them, but they didn't amount to much. We shouldn't be maligning them in a public report. That seems to be what he's saying. But I mean, at this point, to coin a phrase, who the hell knows? <laughs> and preach just today, the House Judiciary Committee authorized, voted to authorize subpoena of the Mueller report itself. Um, there's an insistence in Congress to see the whole thing unredacted, at least uh, the chairman and ranking member to have access to that. Do you feel like that's an appropriate step or are there things that, that the Congress and the public should never see that could potentially be in that report? Yeah. So this is going to sound like a, maybe an odd answer to that. The way you ask the question, is it an appropriate step? I think absolutely Yes. That doesn't mean that I necessarily believe at the end of the day that every single word and every single bit of punctuation should be made public uh, because there, there might be a good faith reason for certain aspects, hopefully minimal, uh, relating to ongoing investigations or um, classified material that shouldn't become public. Uh, by the way, I think all the classified information should be provided to Congress. Congress is different, and at least the, the chairs of the relevant committees, Judiciary and Intel, they're different as well. But I do think it's an appropriate step because I think Congress has an independent role as a co- as a co-equal branch of government, and it's unclear what Bill Barr is going to do. There, you know, there's the rhetoric of transparency that's happened over time. The the president himself has sometimes lapsed into the rhetoric of transparency, but then it doesn't end up happening. And I think because time is of the essence, sort of generally, because people want answers, and a long time has elapsed uh, to to put down uh, in writing and throw the gauntlet down and set in motion you know, a, 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 a series of events so that you can frame the issue if it has to be framed for a negotiation with the White House and or a litigation in the courts, I think you proceed the way that they're proceeding. Let's turn to the Southern District, your, your friends and former colleagues there. You, we all are, are 
depending on what what we know about this based on court filings, based on some some public statements of people that we know that have uh, cooperated with investigators in the Southern District, what is your best read of what the scope of what is the investigative work that's going on in the Southern District? What What is your sense of what that work is and what the work product would it be? Would it just be speaking through indictments or could there be a report that comes out of the Southern District? I doubt a report. That's not something that we that we did. Um, that's the kind of thing a special counsel does. I don't think we ever issued a report ever in the seven and a half years that I ran that place. And I understand that this is a different kind of investigation if it implicates a sitting president. But I, I still think that's a that's a bridge too far, and it's not the kind of thing that they do. And it's out of the it's very 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 out of the ordinary. Um, so I have, I have two responses. One, uh, I don't have any personal knowledge of what they may be looking at specifically. I see the reports like I, like everyone else. I'm, I'm out of the job and nobody tells me anything. But you know, from the reports, it looks like, number one, uh, they have the view that the president uh, committed a campaign finance violation with Michael Cohen because they have repeated the assertion of Michael Cohen in open court that he committed that campaign finance violation in connection with the payoffs uh, in coordination with and at the direction of individual one, who's the president. So that, to me, is you know a very significant thing, what, whether they'll act on that now or they'll act on that when the president leaves office, I don't know. And then there were reports of investigative activity relating to the inaugural committee, the Trump organization, and, you know, there's probably a lot of those things going on and probably a number of things that we don't know about because the Pandora's box has been opened both by Michael Cohen, who continues to try to cooperate post-conviction. So I don't know. The other thing I will say, though, separate from the particulars of what they're looking at and what I wrote about extensively in the book is about the character of the place and the characters in that place and the philosophy of the place and the culture of the place and how we went about uh, making decisions, how we decided to go forward, and how we deliberated very carefully. And sometimes we proceeded, uh, and people didn't like it, and some people did like it, and sometimes we didn't proceed, and some people liked that and didn't like that. So at the end of the day, I think it's important for people to understand that in the same way that it wasn't Bob Mueller's job to get the president, it's not the Southern District's job to get the president or to get to get a bad guy. Their job is to figure out what the truth is, what the evidence is, what's provable in court, and to bring only cases that are in the interest of justice. And they are fearless and aggressive and independent, but they're also fearless and independent in the other direction. And if they don't think there's enough evidence to bring a case against anyone, whether it's uh, someone close to the president or the president himself, notwithstanding the policy of the Justice Department that you can't indict a sitting president, they'll walk away too. And I think that's what you want in fair-minded prosecutors. Is, Is there an argument that this entire episode and the way the president has has gone out and publicly berated prosecutors, has has called for the politicization of, of, of prosecutions in very specific cases, um, that, that throughout all of this, that there is something reassuring about the way justice, the wheels of justice have kept turning, the way uh, Jeff Sessions uh, followed the, uh, 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 the advice of, of the ethics uh, lawyers at justice. He recused himself. Uh, Rod Rosenstein uh, has been taking abuse from the president's allies uh, for uh, you know for, for nearly two years. Um, that the investigation went through, it ran its course. There was no, as we can tell, any interference. Uh, Barr tells us in his letter that there wasn't any uh, anything that that, that that Mueller requested that he was denied. Is there something uh, reassuring about about the way justice has worked in in, in this case? Yeah, look, there are examples. You pointed out a number of them. Um, also, the fact that Rod Rosenstein appointed Mueller in the first place. The reason we're in this situation is because Rod Rosenstein thought there had been a 
clearly thought there had been a serious breach and concern and lack of faith and worry that there had been obstruction of justice. I and mean, that's where all of this began with Bob Mueller. It was in the immediate wake of the firing of Jim Comey and other erratic behavior by the president. Uh, there have been other occasions where the president seems to have asked uh, Matt Whitaker and Don McGahn, his former White House counsel, to do things that they refused to do. Um, you know, in another example, uh, although it didn't really amount to much, we're seeing this unfolding of the scandal around national security clearances and high-level clearances uh, in the White House. And, you know, Don McGahn again and the former chief of staff, John Kelly, you know, made it clear on the record for posterity that they didn't think, you know, 25 to 27 people uh, who were deemed not worthy of having security clearances, that they thought they shouldn't get those security clearances. So there have been people who have stood up along the way and and caused, you know, Trump to turn back against his worst instincts. So I think, yeah, I think that's encouraging. But it is still true that someone with the power and the megaphone of Donald Trump over time, if he is able to uh, accidentally or intentionally, uh, you know, put certain kinds of loyal people in various positions, that the things that we are talking about can be eroded more and there'd be fewer examples of people standing up for what's right and the rule of law rather than bending to the will uh, and to the demand for loyalty from the president. Of course, the the attorney general announced in his letter uh, a week or week and a half ago that uh, that there would be no prosecution, uh, no pursuit of a uh, of an obstruction of justice case. Um, we know from what he said of Mueller's report that Mueller doesn't make a recommendation one way or the other. He presents it. We, we it appears evidence on both sides. Does that though mean that? obstruction of justice as a topic is off the table entirely for the Justice Department? Or could it be that something the Southern District works on leads back the road to obstruction? In other words, did Mueller, would Mueller have exonerated the president or his non-decision to, uh, leading to Barr's decision to exonerate the president entirely on obstruction? Or could it come back in a different investigation? Yeah, I, I suppose if there's a different investigation that uncovers different facts and has a different focus, even if it overlaps a little bit, I suppose hypothetically, there could be a future case of obstruction. But what I take Bob Mueller to have said is, it was left to me to decide this. I couldn't decide it. It was too close a question. So we're not stating that a crime was committed. Also, we're not stating that a crime wasn't committed. The president is not exonerated. Since he had sort of the exclusive power in connection with the investigation, to make that determination, I don't think there's anyone else in the Justice Department who is going to sort of rise to the occasion, so to speak, and say, well, you know, we have a different view and we're going to prosecute. That doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So in some ways, by the way, and this might sound controversial to some ears, it, it, it doesn't matter that much that Bill Barr sort of interceded and put his own, you know, helpful spin and gloss on that's, that's you know, different from what Bob Mueller found, his own spin and gloss on whether or not obstruction was committed. Because I don't think in the department, I think once, once Bob Mueller said, I cannot state whether a crime was committed. It's too close a question. The, the idea that the Department of Justice was going to charge the president with obstruction was a, was a dead letter. And by the way, it's, it was already a dead letter in any event because of the prevailing policy that you can't indict or, or, or prosecute a sitting president. What I think is the same as what a lot of people think is that Bob Mueller put it in writing, set it out in a document that I think will be fairly eye-opening because all the evidence will be marshaled even if some of it we've seen before, and that it provides uh, a possibility for action by the co-equal branch of government uh, to whom was delegated this responsibility of holding a president accountable in certain circumstances of abuse of power or the commission of a high crime and misdemeanor. I'm not prejudging that because I don't know what the report says. But I think, yeah, within the department, 
the issue of obstruction um, seems to be at an end, although a close question, but not at an end for Congress. Uh, just quickly, I know you have to go. D- do you think Mueller's decision not to make a finding on that was an abdication of his responsibility? I mean, he was appointed to investigate this and take it out of the political, out at least the, out of the, uh, into to an independent realm. Yeah, well, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if that's quite right. When you're talking, I mean, he, he was asked to investigate a lot of things. He wasn't asked, "Hey, can you, you know, build a case against." One man, Donald J. Trump, the president of the United States, he was looking at a lot of things. He was looking at Russian interference. He was looking at other things that arose from that investigation. And lots and lots of people fell within his, um, his eyesight and in his crosshairs. Uh, I think the president is different. And so, yeah, with respect to those other people like Roger Stone and Paul Manafort and Michael Flynn and all sorts of others in the, in the GRU in Russia, you know, he's the sole decider of what does or does not happen to them. And if he decides to walk away, then it's over. The president is different from all of those other people in, in two ways, which we've talked about. One, he has ba- basically a shield against prosecution uh, that he shouldn't be able to wield against f- folks who want to make sure that the record becomes known as to what his misconduct may have been. And then second, he's subject to accountability through this other process. I, I don't think the, the assignment and the appointment of Robert Mueller uh, to investigate this meant that he was supposed to keep away from a coequal branch of government their role in holding a president potentially accountable. I mean, that's not how it happened in, 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 in Watergate, as people are looking back and seeing. And it looks like that's not what's happening here either. Hey, before you go, what, what's next for you? Uh, we, we, we've... I got to take my podcast. I know. <laughs> you, I know. I know you, got, you, 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 you see, got, I got that in there? You got, you got your podcast. It's a phenomenal <laughs> podcast. Uh, well, I'm continuing uh, to, to talk about out. the book, which is, which is, since you didn't mention, I will, I will mention that it debuted at number four on the New York Times bestseller list. Congratulations. Which, means, Congratulations. which means everyone should buy it and read it. And get it to number um, one. And, and I, <laughs> that's, that's why I'm talking to you, fine gentlemen. <laughs> I, I, hear you, I hear you move the numbers. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing, I, and I have a, lo- a lot of other things going on. I'm, I'm working on uh, continuing to, on this task force with Governor Christy Todd Whitman, to sort of make proposals to Congress to shore up democracy in light of all the things that are going on. I'm working on a task force that will make proposals to the Securities and Exchange Commission to reform insider trading laws. And I've got you know, more writing and teaching to do at NYU Law School. And we'll sort of see when the, when the book uh, sort of business dies down, uh, what other service I can provide. Could be running for office. Probably not. And I saw you were hanging out with, uh, with, uh, with Mayor Pete uh, uh, backstage at Bill Mayor Maul. Pete keeps following me. And he yeah. came on the podcast. And then, <laughs> then I went on, on Bill Maher's show. Mayor Pete was there. Then I went on Lawrence O'Donnell's show a couple of days ago. Mayor Pete was there, so I don't know. And what do you think? I think he's stalking me. What do you I think? think he's, I, look, I think he's very – look, I, I don't have a, a pick. I don't have a uh, – is it a dog or a horse? I don't have any kind Either of animal one. in the race or the fight, as they say. But look, I think, I think Mayor Pete is incredibly smart, incredibly refreshing, uh, knows how to speak about things, has deep knowledge of not just seven languages, but I think a lot of policy. And look, you know, I know he's 37. Uh, and he may not make it this time around, but at a, at a minimum, you can say, based on how he's acquitted himself, and, and I spent a, you know a solid hour and fifteen minutes, sort of in depth talking to him on the on my podcast. He is definitely someone we're going to be hearing about and thinking about and listening to for a long time, whether this is his time or not. No question. All right, the name of the book is "Doing Justice: A Prosecutor's Thoughts on Crime, Punishment, and the Rule of Law." Preet Bharara, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. Get that book to number one. We'll talk to you I soon. Will. <laughs> 
Thank you, gentlemen. Take care. Thank you. Always thoughtful. Um, thoughtful, indeed. I, and I think takeaway for me, um, he has said previously that collusion is is dead, obstruction also dead. It is going to fall to the political process. But to go back to something he said at the beginning of the interview, plenty of evidence, he said, that is out there on collusion, although the judgment is no crime. That makes it a political issue. And that, to me, buttresses the case that Jerry Nadler and Adam Schiff, who the president ridiculed, as we played earlier just last night, continue to pursue that for what it probably is always going to be, which is a political conclusion to make a judgment about whether there were high crimes and misdemeanors and what you do about that and what you do about letting people know about that. And impeachment? It's not going to happen. I, as a practical matter, I, uh, impeachment was off the table before the Mueller report, uh, to my mind, and Mueller didn't put it back on there. In fact, until or unless we see the full report, we can't make a final judgment, but I think it makes it that much less likely. This is going to be, look, I had a Democrat say to me recently, you know, the Mueller report, the problem that we Democrats had, he said, in the Mueller report is we thought it was our get out of jail free card. We thought it was going to make everything easy, that, that we'd find out that the president was a Russian operative and that the American people would insist that he be kicked out of office. Now it's going to be hard. Now it's going to be a campaign. Now they're yep. going to fight it out on the issues. And you know what? Democrats like their chances on those issues. Yes, uh, they sure do. And, and, and I'll say, I, uh, as we discussed, I, I talked about the Mueller report being anticlimactic on the question of, of, of Russian collusion. I will say that as we get, uh, as we approach the release of whatever is redacted, it's going to look pretty damning on the question yeah. of, uh, of obstruction. There's no question. And we know from what uh, just what Barr said about it, that, that most of the information, but not all of the information about obstruction has been publicly reported. That means there's new stuff. And, and even the most of the information that's been out there, seeing it all, you know, in one place and, and, and you know, get, get with, with one kind of this is the case for obstruction. There's been a lot where you kind of forget stuff happens and then it moves on. Uh, you know, uh, there's been a hell of a lot of smoke on this. And, and, and I, I think that it'll be interesting to watch the president as we get closer to release date. Uh, does he really follow through on his promise to leave it up to Barr and, to, uh, and, and, and his statements that he'd want uh, uh, this report to be out? Or does he do what he did with his uh, <laughs> promise to, to testify under oath, which, of course, he never did? Anyway, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Uh, it is baseball season again. Let's just close with the thought uh, that Bryce Harper uh, is fill in the blank. Did himself a lot of damage in that debut, man. That was tough for Nats fans to watch. It's hard for Washington to stomach what Bryce did. Flipping that bat after a home run when the team is already losing. Yes. You know, I, uh, this, this is going to be... It's gonna whining be, to the Washington Post about how he wanted to stay with the Nationals. But and they, they're going to play 19 times a year forever. Because yeah. Bryce's contract's forever. And this is going to be a heck of a rivalry to watch. I just wish the guy would stop hitting so many home runs. <laughs> all right, that is all time we have for Powerhouse Politics. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our entire Powerhouse Politics team, including Trevor Hastings, Angie Ak, Avery Miller. See you again next week.